0: Happy weekend, everyone. Welcome to the Bonafide Legal Podcast. This is Florence Bremmer. Bonafide Legal Podcast is a podcast to help attorneys and business owners with time management and lifestyle tips. I'm a mother, a grandmother, a wife, a movie enthusiast, a fan of a great deal, restaurant lover, follower of many television shows, self-proclaimed fashionista, and overall in love with popular culture. Besides all this, I'm a lawyer. I've been a lawyer for 20 years. Throughout my practice, I struggle day by day to find balance between work and life. I do not have a magic answer on how to balance life in the law and life outside the law. But over the years, I've developed tips for living my best life and enjoying my work and enjoying my time off. This week's podcast is going to discuss disembarking a plane. It's also going to discuss phone tips. And I have a couple of referrals for books and um, a streaming option and a movie that is currently out. The reason why I started thinking about disembarking a plane was was twofold. I was um, thinking about my upcoming trips. I have five upcoming trips that I'm all flying to. And it's always been one of my pet peeves is when people get off a plane, they do not care for their fellow person. It becomes like Mad Max beyond the Thunderdome. I don't understand it. And I just thought maybe I felt this way um, or, or just observed it or was incredibly unlucky because as soon as the plane lands, all these people pop up. They start pulling down their bags, dropping them on your shoulders. Um, If you are in, say, row 17, people from row 23 are pushing past you. And um, I thought this was just a, a phenomenon that I was dealing with. And then I saw an article. It popped up on my news feed on my phone that talked about disembarking on a plane. And it was from CNN, I believe. And there's studies about it. And I thought, wow, I can't even believe anyone has ever looked into this because it just seems like so haphazard. And so one of the things that they are considering is perhaps disembarking in groups, like how they load in groups. That doesn't exist right now. And I guess it's just one of the considerations of this study. But I had a couple of my own tips that I just wanted to share and it'll just take about a minute. Usually what I do is number one, I rarely bring on a carry on bag. Most of the time I check even in a short trip. And I know that's not super convenient because it's nice to just grab your bag and leave. And I never had a problem with luggage getting lost until I went to New York and my luggage showed up two or three days later. And so that was a that was definitely a learning experience and um and my tip for that is they always say um carry a change of clothes with you and your toothbrush. To me, I mean, if I'm going to carry all this stuff anyways, why check the luggage? So I don't think that's um feasible, but rather Um, Make sure that you have the insurance for you can get reimbursed for your expenses and have your, um, you know, a credit card or something with enough money on it that you can go buy a change of clothes and a um, toothbrush and. You know whatever you need. When that happened to me in New York, I ended up spending actually a couple hundred dollars. But my my entire luggage was gone for about three days, and um, so I think that's on the more expensive side. I bet for most people, it's probably less than a hundred dollars. <coughs> excuse me, to get a change of clothes and a toothbrush and everything else for when your luggage should normally come back to you which is probably in about a 24-hour period the New York trip it was incredibly long and it was around in the middle of the trip when I finally did get my luggage in any event when disembarking a plane so number one I usually don't have a big carry-on bag that's that's shoved in the overhead that I am a that I have to take out I on a plane just usually have my laptop bag and my purse so I have enough stuff to get through the flight so I don't have that hassle of pulling down the the bag Um, if you do have a big bag and even when I don't have a bag I do this anyways I just hop into a row that's empty so again I'm going to say hey I'm in row 17 and it's around and if there's if I'm sitting in the aisle and I'm traveling by myself, I'll usually just jump up into an empty row, row, like say row 14 while the plane's disembarking. I wait about two minutes and the plane is completely empty in about two minutes without all the jostling and the standing in line. And since I'm usually checking luggage anyways, I have a couple minute wait anyway, so I'm not in in a hurry. And I... I have done this thing over the years where I'll kind of take a look at a passenger who is more on the rude side to be, to put it lightly, someone who is just, you know, forcing their way out. They're not letting the um, rows in front of them go. They're pushed into the aisle. They're dragging down their suitcase and hitting everyone. And I'll just keep an eye on them. And I'll try to see if I can spot them in the airport later. And what has happened on many occasions, sometimes I lose sight of them. I don't know, know whatever happened to them. But sometimes I do my thing where I wait a few minutes and then I am I remember that one passenger, the one that was incredibly rude, and then I run into that person in the bathroom or see them getting a cup of coffee or waiting at luggage claim or waiting for a taxi And I think, wow, did you really need to be like that? So that's just my experience. Even when I'm traveling with people, I'll do that. Well, we'll just hang tight for a minute. And especially if you're all, you know, say I'm traveling with two daughters and we have our own row, it's especially easy just to wait and wait for everybody to walk by and then leave. All right. My bigger segment of today is going to be some phone call time management tips I had an incredibly busy phone this week. It was weird. It was on and off. It was the first week of school, so probably on Wednesday, the first week of school wasn't super busy, but Monday was really busy and Friday afternoon was really busy. And it was so busy that I just had a stack of messages in front of me nonstop. I had a couple hearings this week and I would come back and there would be a stack of messages. If I came in in the morning, there was messages on the voicemail. And I also have this phenomenon that people will do where, say, they'll email me at you know, midnight and they'll say, hey, can you call me in the morning when you get in? So it's not technically a phone message, but in a way it is because it's a call I have to return. So I started thinking about what am I doing to manage my time With the phone calls, and what can I do to share that with other people? So, one thing I try to do is figure out when the phones are the busiest. For me, it seems to be Monday, maybe not necessarily first thing in the morning, but more like mid morning. People have gotten into the office or have gotten their kids off to school, and whatever they have going on has kind of been you know, nothing they could do about it during the weekend. Although a lot of times I come in and I might have a couple of messages during the weekend. But for the most part, unless I'm there working on a trial or something, I'm not checking those till Monday morning. So Monday morning is a busy time. And then Friday afternoons are a busy time. Friday afternoons, I've tried to figure out why does that get busy? And I think I've put my finger on it. So in, I think Arizona or anywhere, especially during the summertime, I think people try to cut out early on Friday, or if they work a four-day work week, I think Friday is typically their day off. So what happens to me is Friday starting about noon, the phone gets incredibly busy. And I try to cut out early on Friday, like I'm a person who's working too. And, um, you know, my staff sometimes wants to leave early. But that Friday afternoon seems particularly busy. So I I figured out what times are the busiest and I've tried to work those into my schedule. So on Fridays, even though I generally cut out a little bit early, um, oftentimes I'll come back, like at say at five, and check my messages and return calls so that I can get a, a heads up on those calls before Monday comes. And then I have my other rush. And there can be other rushes during the week, but they don't seem as typical. Like sometimes a Tuesday will be super busy. And I'll think, why is this Tuesday so particularly busy? And you just never know. Just sometimes your phone's busier than others. But if you can put your finger on when the phones are busiest, try to adapt for that, like make yourself available to take calls, or try not to schedule your busiest project to work on during that time. A second tip I'll give is keep track of your time on the phone. So I think most of us have phones that have some sort of timer. And I don't want to cut people off. You know, these are calls that whether I'm having them with an attorney, or a possible new client or an existing client, these are calls that are important. So I can't say five minute limit the end, some of them are going to take a while. But I definitely have to be mindful of the time. Because I might have, say two dozen calls in a day. And if six of those calls are 30 minute calls, that's three hours, that is a significant portion of the workday. So you have to be mindful of that. One of the ways of being mindful is keep the calls on track and close with an action plan. I like talking to people. I'm a human. I like to hear about their kids. But I also have to, to keep it going during the day. Or the next thing I know, it's 515. And it's time to get home or, or get to my trainers or whatever the case may be, or getting too late just to call people back or regular business hours are over. So I, I have to keep the calls on track. And I have some things I think that I say where I just kind of repeat an action plan. Like, okay, I hear what you're saying. Let's do this, this, and this. We're going to touch base in a couple of days, and um, I'm glad we were able to talk. You know, something that just keeps the call moving along. I don't believe in multitasking anymore. It was something that I used to think that I was amazing at when I realized it just made me more scattered. So I generally, every once in a while it happens, but I might be on a call and answering an email at the same time and not just a two word email, but something more significant. It's hard. And it's, it's not effective. So to the greatest extent possible, I try not to do that. But I believe there are some things that you can do when you're on the phone. Oftentimes, I'm on hold. Um, I'm waiting for a message machine to pick up. Um, I have just left a message. And so I there's like some downtime with my hands where I could do something. One thing that I might do is just clean up my email. This isn't answering a significant email, but going through incoming emails and deleting anything that I can delete right away, or if it takes one sentence, like if someone emails you and says, hey, can I come into the office at 3 p.m. on Thursday? And I can write, yes, see you then, sure. That takes two seconds. And I might it might be able to, something to do when, when I'm on a call. Another thing I might do is just open up the mail or sort the mail because a lot of the mail is just junk so you can toss it. So you can kind of do it as you're going through your calls. But again, I, it's not the time where I can write a brief. I always think, oh, can I, you know, write a couple paragraphs while I'm doing this stuff? It's, it's something that you hope for. It just never happens. You really, Your mind does not let you do two things at once. And one of the other things I do is, I take notes on the calls. And there's a variety of ways that I take notes. Sometimes it's taking notes on the computer. Oftentimes it's taking notes on the message that was left for me. So in our office, I always buy the duplicate message pads. The single ones are less expensive, but the duplicate ones I find are very, very useful. Because number one, if I've misplaced a message or I've filed it and don't have it in front of me, someone in my office, including me, has a duplicate message pad on their desk and we can cross-reference and see if we can find that message, which might be quicker than me locating it in the file or wherever it may be. Or it might have been a message that I tossed and I need a phone number. for the love of God, please, if you leave a message, no matter how many times you've talked to the person, please leave your phone number. There has been so much time that I've had where someone will call the office, they'll either leave a voicemail or a message with my staff, and they'll say, can Florence call me? And when the staff tries to get a message, get a number, they'll say, oh, she has it. Or it'll be on my voicemail and they don't leave a number. I do have some technology that lets me see the number that was called, or if a voicemail is left for me, I can find the number on the computer. But sometimes they're not even calling from that, the number they want me to call back to. And it's hunting it down, and that's taking time. So even when I'm talking to lawyers that I have a case that I've Say we've been working on a case for two years. I never assume they'll have my number memorized, and I always leave a phone number. I think that's a very good courtesy to live by. I think it helps you get your phone calls returned quicker if the message is in front of someone. So going back to taking notes, I take it in a variety of ways. Sometimes if it's just a a quick note where say I need to remember something. I can write it on the front or back of the message that I have in front of me and then I'll save that message. Sometimes if it's more significant notes but not all the notes in the world, I'll have Post-its on my desk and I'll put the notes on the Post-it and I'll attach the Post-its to the message. At all times on my desk in a little holder, I have messages, telephone messages of cases where I need follow-up on. Or say I've talked to someone, a prospective client, and we say we're going to touch base in two weeks. I'll keep that on my desk. And every week I go through those messages and I clean them out. Like, okay, this is a dead item. I can either file it or shred it. Or if it's um, it's just something that is completed, like say, for instance, a client had me write a letter and I have the notes from our conversation for the letter, but I've already written the letter, then I can toss that. But having these notes is, is very helpful. And then of course, longer notes, notebook paper or typing on the computer. And that helps make your phone time more productive. Another tip is use email as a telephone backup as well. It's, it's kind of a catch-22. Like sometimes email can be much easier where say I call someone and I get their receptionist, like say in the, in the, in terms of calling an opposing counsel, I'll get their receptionist and they don't have a voicemail they can transfer me to, but, um, I have like maybe two or three sentences. It's just too onerous to give that to a receptionist. And it never seems like it the message you left is computed to the other side. So I'll use email as a backup. What I don't use it for, really, is to tell someone I called. Um, sometimes I will get a message from someone. Um, they'll leave it in my office. 15 minutes later, they'll email me and say, hey, I left you a message, and, and can you call me? So I'm getting these duplicate messages. It's not the worst thing in the world, but it is two things that that I have to go through. So you can use email as a tool to kind of weed through the calls, um, whether they're incoming or outgoing. And I always put on my business cards, and I think probably everyone does this at this point, is I put my email address on my business cards. So there's different ways you can reach me. Every time I hand someone a business card, I said, here's every way you can reach me. And it has my phone number. It has fax. I still get faxes every once in a while. And it has the email. And then if they're not getting through on the phone, they can always try with an email. Um, and, and that works pretty well too. This one may not work for everyone, but I'm finding it to work for me quite a bit. I am. I don't believe that a third party. Answering service will work for my business. There is one that advertises all the time for lawyers, and it's called Ruby Receptionist. I don't know if they only work for lawyers, but um, in the law magazines, they, testify, they, they advertise all the time. They, they probably are great. They, they probably are wonderful. I find them not to be workable, and I'll tell you why. Anytime I have called a law office to call to talk to someone, if it is a third party answering service, I know immediately because all they're doing is taking the message and are unable to answer any sort of basic questions, such as Is um, the attorney on the phone right now? Um, Are they in court? Are they new back in the afternoon? And basically they just keep going, well, I can take a message, the attorney will call you back. I can take a message, the attorney will call you back. And I'm like, okay, this is a third party because if this was their office, they would have some sort of, any sort of detail and not sound um, like so generic about it. I actually, rather than leaving with a third party receptionist, I wish they just had a voicemail because in a voicemail, I am more comfortable Leaving like a little bit of detail because then the person can just listen to it rather than I'm telling someone five or six sentences and they're writing it down. I like when people leave me voicemail because I can listen to it and I can listen to it again. And as many times as I want to and get the gist of what they're saying, sometimes I get some really, really long voicemails. So you're like, why does she keep listening to them? It's because sometimes they're three or four minutes long. No, it, do I want three or four minute messages every day, all day? No, I would spend my whole life transcribing voicemails. But sometimes it's necessary, and when I get them, all the information is in the voicemail. And I prefer to leave those too, where, say, for example, with like a client, I can say in a message. Also, I like the privacy of it. Instead of leaving it with a third party who I'm not necessarily sure Who they are like it might be through their business and maybe they don't want this message on a voicemail I can say your hearing date is set for September 5th Um, let's meet a week before give me a call or shoot me an email we'll set up a time we'll meet at the court 30 minutes before the hearing like I can leave all this type of detail in a voicemail and it's very quick where instead of you know if I had to write out an email for it it might take 10 minutes And I prefer just regular staff answering the phones rather than a a third party. And and I'm sure there's people who are sole practitioners who are doing it on their own. And that was me for a lot of years. And there there may have been, there had to have been third party answering services, but I don't think they were as prevalent as they are today. I did everything um, myself, had voicemail answer the phone myself. Now I'm lucky enough to have some staff and I monitor how they answer the calls. And they always do a great job with it. And a lot of times if you have staff who can take those calls, it will save you time down the road. Like for instance, sometimes I'll get a call, or I'll I'll monitor a, a call that one of the staff is on. And the person may be asking, is, um, are they going to be is the is Florence going to be around in the afternoon? Um, can I come in and pay my bill? Um, is someone going to be at the office so I can bro- drop off a package? There might be like all these little things that the 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 staff can answer. They don't do scheduling for me. That is something I've never passed over to staff, because the schedule is forever changing. So for me, I do my own scheduling. So that's something they can't do. Although sometimes if I'm in the office and say I'm on a call, if a a person calls and wants to know if they can come in Tuesday at 10 a.m., the staff could run in and pass a note in front of me. Hey, are you open at this time? Or the court wants to know if the hearing can be moved to another day and are you available this day? And if you have people who are helping you with that, a lot of those calls can be handled that way. Often when I'm out at court, or in the field, they'll send me a text about a call, they'll say so and so called, they need an answer to this question. And then they're able to handle it. by sending me a quick text and getting the answer. So that's just my personal opinion. You have to find out what works best for you. Third-party receptionists may work great for you. For me, the voicemail or relying on staff is best for me. Also, part of managing calls is turning them off sometimes. On my phone, I have a do not disturb button. In 20 years, I didn't use it. I never used it. And then in the last couple of months... There's been a couple of times where I've had to sit down and write something. So I've turned on do not disturb, or I've gone into an office where there's no phone and worked. And I had to. Otherwise, it would just be forever phone calls coming in, phone calls coming in. Or tell your staff that you're not taking incoming. Sometimes I do that when I come back from court and say there's 10 messages. Well, if I'm. I'm, I sort the messages by priority, like figure out, you know, say there's a court call that needs to be done first. Those might go on top. And just try to figure out what seems the most urgent. It's, it's kind of hard because Everybody has matters that it's important to them. And I'm not saying that the ones at the bottom are less important, but I just do have to sort them. Sometimes they're sorted depending on when I can get a hold of someone. If someone leaves a message and says they're only in the out in the office for the next two hours, that might have to go on top so I can catch them before they leave. So I'll sort those messages and I'll yell to my staff, I'm not taking incoming calls till I get through this stack. And um Sometimes it's, I'm not taking incoming calls unless, say, the court calls. Um, I'm waiting for a call from the court. So there might be an exception to it, but I just find it a lot easier to stay on track of returning phone calls and knowing the calls that I'm returning instead of, like, say, for instance, I hang up the, the phone And a call comes through right at that second and the staff says, hey, so-and-so's on the phone. And I don't know what it's about or how long it's going to take. I still have all these other messages in front of me that usually doesn't work for me. And I have taken them and a lot of times I'm like, shoot, I should have had them take a message because then I could have put it into the priority stack and actually had a little bit of background left for me on the message um, before I called them back. Which is goes along with my next tip, which is answering calls in bulk. Like sometimes I just say, I like shut it all down and I say, okay, I'm just gonna return calls. I'm returning calls for the next hour and a half. Sometimes I'll set a timer when I'm returning calls in bulk because if I need to do something else or need to leave for court, I mean especially, I need to shut it down. And so say, for instance, I have a 2 p.m court hearing and it's 11am. So I need to leave at least by one o'clock, usually. And so I have two hours, I might set a timer for an hour. Because then when the timer hits, like I know I really need to wrap it up, I can still do a few calls after that. But I have to get it resolved. So that I can leave on time and not be running out the door in a panic because I'm answering calls. I try to avoid calls first thing in the morning. Number one, a lot of times I get to the office at eight or a little bit before eight. I have found that that's way too early to call anyone. I get calls at that time. And if I'm around and can answer them, I'll answer them. But I generally don't call people back at that time. Oftentimes, I've called people when they're sleeping or sound like they're sleeping or they're not in the office yet. Uh, If I'm calling an office, not as a big deal, but if I'm calling someone personally and it's their cell phone and they're answering from bed, it's it's just awkward and they're not ready for the call. So I have found that 9 a.m. appears to be the best time to start returning calls. Sometimes it's a bit of a pain because I might get into the office at 730 and I could have an hour and a half where I could really fly through calls. People aren't ready for them. So um, what I do is I hold off on calls first thing in the morning and I get settled. And even if I get to the office at nine, I probably don't start dialing the phone right away. I get settled. I make sure that I have um, coffee. One thing I've learned about Uh, multitasking and coffee and answering phone calls is it often ends up with me spilling my coffee into my keyboard. So I may sit there with a cup of coffee while I'm answering phone calls. It's actually one of my favorite times to have coffee because the person's talking and I'm taking notes and I can have a sip of coffee here and there too. But if I'm trying to sort through a pile of paperwork, be on the phone and have coffee, I'm spilling the coffee. So what I do is just get settled in the morning. If I come in and it's time to start calls, I might get a cup of coffee going. I might have a yogurt sitting there. A yogurt's a good thing because you can, you know, sneak a bite as you're dialing and, um, just get settled. Um, arrange my documents on the desk that I need to sort through later in the day, kind of clean up my emails, go through emails. I would much rather answer emails first thing in the morning than do phone calls first thing in the morning. It just makes you feel more organized, at least for me. Okay, so those are my tips for a busy telephone. Got a couple of reviews for you guys. Um before i do that let me see you know i can't find what i'm looking for so i'll do it next time Um, but in any event i got a couple of reviews for you for streaming and reading i finished orange is the new black this week i loved it i think it ended on a really good note I don't want to spoil any surprises. I felt like in the last two episodes, there were surprises, good and bad. And it ended more on a positive note and made you very happy for a lot of characters that you had come to love. I've been dying for someone that I know to finish this because I want to talk to them about it. Um, So if you do finish it and want to give me a call, definitely give me a call. I would love to talk about the finale. Second, I have a movie review. Last night I saw um, Scary Movies to Watch in the Dark. So I had been wanting to see this movie for months. They'd been showing previews like crazy because I do usually see every horror movie that's out there so they kept showing it during the horror movies and it just looked so good it looked like it had like a little bit of the movie it incorporated into it you know like young kids um, being haunted and had some very creepy monsters on it and this entire time that I have been seeing these previews I never realized this was an existing series and it's my, my own dumbness, I just completely forgot. This was a book that my kids read when they were young, that my niece and nephew when they were read when they were young, my other nieces read when they were young. And it's a children's series, kind of like goosebumps in a way. So I didn't know that. And I knew the movie was PG-13. And I'm like, oh, hmm, this looks so, kind of scary for PG-13, or looks like it could be pretty violent for PG 13. It was definitely a PG-13 and it definitely was a kid series. Did not realize that to the day I went to see the movie. Did not take away from the enjoyment of it. It it was very good. The bummer about it was that um there's some okay. There's some pretty unusual scary figures. And for the most part, the preview showed you. Each and every one of them. So that, I was like, I've seen all this. And they actually, the preview probably showed you the most scary parts of the movie. And I'm like, that is a complete bummer. Like, how could they do that? But it was enjoyable. It was a a young cast. They were fun. They were good. You could tell that the movie was opening up for the possibility of sequels. It was, it was well done. My complaint for it if I have any complaint which is my complaint for most most movies is it could have been shorter I think it was close to two hours they usually could have made it an hour and a half movie like no no problemo Um, but every movie just seems to run a little bit too long I'm reading a couple of books that I'll recommend I am reading um, a book for 50 Lessons for Women Lawyers I just started this. I ordered it from Amazon. I couldn't get it from the library. I saw an article from the author who wrote the book, whose name is escaping me, but she's a woman lawyer, and she assembled different lessons from different lawyers. I, I wish this was a book I would have, would have written or thought to write. Like, it's so good, and I've read the first few chapters, and they're great lessons. They're lessons about being yourself, finding a mentor time management, stress management. If you're not a lawyer, I I think it still works for you. Um, If you're not a woman, I think it still works for you. Uh, This is a book I'm really enjoying. I'm also reading Love Does by Bob Goff. It is a Christian Christian encouragement book, um, kind of time management also, But from a Christian perspective, Bob Goff tells funny, heartwarming stories. It's a very easy read. If you're not Christian, I think you would still enjoy it. The amazing thing about him, and I talked about one of his other books before, his other book before, is that he puts his phone number in the back of it and you can call him. I think after I'm done reading this book, I may call him and just tell him how much I enjoy reading the book. He is also a lawyer, although doesn't really practice in the sense that I practice. Um, he is an ambassador for somewhere in Africa. He lives in San Diego on waterfront property. He, um, he's very, very much in love with his life, his wife. He's a kind of an older guy and his stories are just funny and heartwarming and give a lot of encouragement and just help me remember that there's more to all of this than just the daily grind. Another book I'm reading is Killing the SS by, um, oh my gosh, the talk show guy, his name's escaping me. Um, he has the killing series. He has, um, killing Lincoln he has killing Reagan and I didn't read any of them and decided to read killing the SS it was on at the library on the on like the new book stand and I started flipping through it and it sounded very interesting it was how they tracked down the horrible Nazi war criminals so Eichmann and Mengele are the two big ones but then there's a lot of history about the end of the war like how it ended and where the war criminals went, um, the the Nuremberg trials, like j- just a very easy to read. Um, so not like a, you know, like a giant treatise where you're reading like a thousand pages, but it's Bill O'Reilly, that's the author. <laughs> um, not like a thousand pages, but you know, like 300 pages and like moving along, like almost in a novel um, format and it they kind of skip around the timeline which keeps it interesting too because you might skip around to the end of the war and then you're in the 60s and it's so amazing to me that all of this is really not that long ago when you think about it and so it is a book that is is giving me a lot of feelings and emotions you know thinking about the Holocaust and and all the efforts that went in by people who were really heroes to catch these people who did such horrible atrocities. I didn't mean to end on such a, such a sad note, but I, I guess that's where we're ending today. Thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate the comments, the encouragement. This podcast means a lot to me. I know I've said it before. This podcast isn't me coming up with some theories. This is my life. This is my tips that I come up with, my personal life, my, um, my work life. My and I, and I love to have a place to talk about the things that I love too at the end to give book reviews and movie reviews and tell you what I'm streaming. And I really, really appreciate the comments. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr at Florence Legally Brunette. You can find me on Facebook under my name, and you can find my website at BrummerLaw.com. Again, I appreciate you all, and I will be back next week. Thanks. Bye bye.